friends, fellow philosophers, we're going to dig into uh, the last section of uh, the course and talk a little bit about ethics and moral philosophy. Uh, thinking about uh, a couple of different perspectives on uh, ethics, uh, what it is, uh, how to process uh, right and wrong, good and evil, what, what those terms mean, um, how to engage them. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Um, I want to say a couple of words of introduction in the beginning, and then we're going to uh, jump into uh, one of the readings from, from the textbook uh, by Ruth Benedict and, and unpack that a little bit. Um, at the beginning of, of this section on moral philosophy, uh, the editors define it this way. This is on page 442. They say that moral philosophy seeks to establish principles of right behavior that can serve as action guides for individuals and groups. Uh, and so part of what you hear, let me just say that again and listen for a couple of key words. Um, moral philosophy seeks to establish principles of right behavior that can serve as action guides for individuals and groups. Uh, so in that definition, part of what you see there is uh, looking for principles of right behavior, not, not just uh, specific acts like this act is a good act or that act is a is a is a bad one, but trying to dig deeper and say what are the the, the underlying principles uh, that help shape our ethical uh, behavior. You'll also notice in that definition that that there's a reference both to individuals and to groups. Uh, that when we talk about ethics, we can focus in just on the individual uh, and. Uh, in a lot of ways, focus on uh, interpersonal relationships and what's the right thing for this person to do uh, in their relationships. But we can also focus on social ethics and, th and think about broader questions about uh, life and society and culture and politics and, and sort of how society and culture as a whole runs. Um, and so there's, there's multiple layers and dimensions there to uh, moral philosophy. Um, one of the key... The, the key... Um, points that we're going to be looking at in the back and forth between uh, the two philosophers and the readings uh, is, is really engaging this question, um, is there such a thing as objective morality, I guess is, is how we'll say it. Uh, when, when we talk about uh, ethical objectivism, th this is the idea that there are at least some moral principles that are universally valid, that, that apply to all times, cultures, places, um, that, that when, we, when we think about these principles, it could be something like, uh, thou shalt not kill, or it should be, um, you know, or, or things of that nature, things we might think of as in the Ten Commandments, you should have no other gods before me. Um, and so the idea here is that there are at least some things that apply everywhere, all the time. And you, you can have some versions of this uh, that are uh, overtly religious and Christian. Um, for example, Thomas Aquinas in his discussion of, of ethics and uh, natural law, that there's a sense in which God, God uh, himself uh, has certain characteristics, has a certain nature, uh, and that he creates uh, this world in a certain way, uh, and that the natural law uh, of our being that's reflected in ethics and morality ultimately is meant to image or, or reflect God. And so these are things that hold all across uh, different cultures and all across different time periods. Now, just to be clear, somebody who's an ethical objectivist, they, they don't mean that 
um, that, that there's no variance or no change. I obviously recognize that there are, is a great amount of difference between cultures uh, and times and places, but the idea that there are some moral principles that hold uh, across the board is, is, is what they're looking at. So they would expect some difference, uh, but would also uh, be looking for um, some points of continuity as well. Uh, so ethical objectivism would, would, would hold to this idea that some moral principles are universally valid. On the other side, you would get an ethical relativism uh, that, that essentially says um, morality is either personally determined, like each person just kind of articulates that for themselves, uh, in which case there's no um, you know, broader binding morality, or a kind of conventionalism that morality is socially and culturally determined. Uh, and so sort of recognizing that <clears throat> we aren't just uh, islands as individuals, that our understanding of what's right or wrong or good or evil um, does come from the, the broader cultural context in which we find ourselves. Um, but at the end of the day, that kind of um, conventionalism would say uh, there's really nothing deeper uh, than just our cultural conventions. There, there's not uh, some kind of deeper principle, deeper morality uh, that, that's there and that this is pointing to and, uh, and helping us see. Uh, and so this is, this is the key difference that we're going to uh, wrestle with a little bit with the writings uh, of Ruth Benedict on the one hand uh, and then James Rachel's uh, and, and his response uh, arguing for uh, the objectivity of morality. Uh, and so, so I want to unpack just a little bit uh, Ruth Benedict and uh, how she talks about uh, morality uh, and, and essentially uh, her main claim this, this um, on page 449 of the textbook, her main thesis is that normality, including moral normality, is culturally defined. Uh, and so Benedict is uh, an anthropologist. She's somebody who studies a wide variety of cultures. Uh, and so part of what she, she's concluding is that, you know, our definition of what is normal varies uh, depending on uh, the culture. Uh, and, her, and her point here, it's, it's really important to get what she's saying here. Because if, if she was just saying like, wow, when I look at the world, I see uh, a number of different cultures and they all have different ideas of, of maybe what's normal, abnormal. They have different practices around uh, food and clothing and housing. And you know, if, if that was all uh, that she was claiming, that wouldn't really be a, a controversial claim. I think most people would agree uh, with that empirical claim. In other words, that, that, that claim about um, what you can observe and the nature of, of, of how these different cultures run. But uh, so I want to make really clear, she is not simply making an empirical claim that, wow, different cultures define normality differently. Um, she's making this deeper ontological claim uh, about the very nature of reality, the nature of what is she? She's essentially saying that uh, there is no morality beyond just what a culture generates or what a culture says is moral. This is this is the uh, ethical conventionalism, relativism, conventionalism that I mentioned a couple minutes ago. Uh, so there's there's nothing deeper there. It's just a product of culture, and it's 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 nothing more than that. Um, 
Now, I, I think it's important to understand that her goal here, as an anthropologist, uh, she really wants to promote understanding uh, and tolerance both between cultures uh, and within cultures. Okay, and so th this actually is you know, super helpful when we think about modern social anthropology. Part of, part of the posture that it takes toward different cultures is, you know, rather than kind of um, identifying my culture with, with quote-unquote human nature and then just saying, wow, that other culture over there, that, that, that's just weird, that's just strange, Modern social anthropology really wants to, <clears throat> excuse me, wants to look at the cultural variations among people groups, um, not with kind of this judgmental lens, but to try to recognize and to try to understand uh, each different culture on its own terms. And so I think that's, at least for me, that's something that I really appreciate, um, that rather, rather than first... Um, trying to come up with a critique of these other cultures, there's a sense that we want to understand and, and know why different cultures do what they do. Uh, and so Benedict brings that impulse uh, to her study, which I, which I think is, is, is helpful. Now her argument, you know, when you really look at the core of what she's arguing, again, she comes back to this idea that normal and abnormal are culturally defined. Uh, and so, part of her part of her evidence for this is uh, simply highlighting uh, some different examples uh, from her own research and study uh, that, that seem to indicate that that morality is relative. And so, uh, you know, she uses a couple of different examples. Uh, she says, you know, there are some cultures where it's normal uh, for people to experience um, this this kind of like spiritual trance like state, um, so very uh, sort of in tune with this almost mystical uh, religious dimension of, uh, of who we are. Uh, and so that says, you know, that, that's in some cultures, that's, that's normal, this kind of religious ecstasy. Um, but in others, it, it's not. And so in cultures where it's normal, uh, people tend to uh, experience that more. Uh, and in cultures where it's not normal, they, they seem not to experience. So again, it seems like this is something that um, it, it's not just that this is a general human experience that's out there and some people have and some people don't, but it's very much dependent on uh, what your culture considers normal. Now, another example that she uses uh, from the realm of uh, sexual ethics, uh, she actually talks quite a bit and she's writing... Um, you know, she's writing in like the 20s and 30s. Uh, she talks about homosexuality. And she says, uh, look, if you look at different cultures and times and places, um, she references back to Plato and ancient Greece and says, look, um, same-sex uh, relationships were uh, pretty well known. They were part of the culture at that time. And so, you know, that's, it, it's just normal. It's not seen as wrong. Uh, whereas in other cultures, uh, it is. And so, again, the focus here is uh, it seems like what a culture says is right or wrong um, tends to be what, what people think of as, as right or wrong. You know, she uses some other examples, um, uh, cultures where what we would call almost like this level of paranoia about people out to get you, where that was, that was considered normal uh, and 
and being kind or being giving was just abnormal. Um, you know, other other cultures where if somebody dies or suffers loss, then their response is to go out and find somebody to basically kill so that uh, there's somebody to join them in their experience of pain and suffering. Uh, and so and she says, look, there's this huge range of human behavior and what is considered normal and abnormal, what is considered morally good or not. Um, and she kind of pushes this argument a little bit further by, by using another uh, analogy. She says, you know, when you think about uh, all the different phonetic articulations that uh, a human being can make, so like linguists will point out that, you know, when you, when you speak English, uh, you're not actually using all the potential uh, noises or sounds uh, that human beings can actually make uh, with their mouth, teeth, tongue, uh, etc. It says, look, there's this huge range of phonetic articulations and different languages sort of narrow narrow that down. So English uses a certain number of those, but but doesn't use others. Other languages use, use uh, a different variety of sounds, a different range. It says, look, just, just like our languages uh, sort of use just a particular uh, uh, a particular set of these sounds so different cultures different ethics sort of pick out a certain set limited set of behaviors and say these things are normal these things are moral uh, and this this is what you should do and, and she stresses that this is this is this is something that just comes about through historical development um, that there's not in some sense, kind of an intentionality around here, but uh, uh, around this this topic, but th that what it's going on here is um, just like people's clothes, what what they wear changes, um, the, the styles of houses that they live in uh, may change. So religion uh, and ethical standards that these things are always kind of in flux, shifting, uh, sometimes quicker, sometimes slower, uh, but that. In that way, they are. Um, you know, it, it's it's not a kind of purposeful movement, but that there is a kind of non-rational and subconscious uh, process by which these things just come to be accepted as as normal, or this is just what we do, or this is morally good. Uh, so there's there's no kind of overarching intentionality behind it. Uh, but it's it's more this uh, long ongoing process that we are the products of, not not the creators of. Uh, and so, so she says, look, this is, you know, it also helps us to think about quote unquote deviance in any culture. Uh, that you know, even within cultures, there may be people who don't fit the norm. Um, but she says, look, this is, for the most part, um, the vast majority of individuals will conform to uh, their culture. Uh, and they accept what the culture says is normal is normal and what's not is not. And that's, um, that's the way things are. Uh, so she concludes by saying, and this is on page 450, um, to me, just think about what she's saying here and, 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 and how this hits you and whether... Whether this maybe is helpful in some ways or whether it raises more questions in other ways, um, she says that morality is not transcendent of culture, but it's embedded in it. And so when we say uh, it is morally good, when we say this thing is morally good, 
what what we're really saying is just it is habitual that it is morally good equals it is habitual now she says we prefer to say we like to say it's morally good because it you know it sounds like we're looking at something we're appealing to something um, beyond our culture bigger than our culture but at the end of the day uh, what we're really saying is just this is the the habit of our culture so in our discussion next time, we're going to look a little bit at uh, James Rachel's uh, professor of philosophy uh, who writes a response to this and, and tries to dig in a little bit deeper to think about how this uh, perspective is, is maybe helpful, but also how it leaves uh, some other questions open. Uh, so until next time, blessings.